Ladies and gentlemen, this is the 2021 Trolley Awards. Yes. Hey, Dub, yeah. Um, trolleys, they've evolved over the years. Uh, we've It started out very formal. We had, you know, many categories with many nominees and, you know, hotly contested winners, things on those lines. And mm-hmm. slowly it evolved into what every award show really is, a, a year in review. We just look back at everything that happened, look forward a little bit and all that good stuff. And so, yeah, now at this point, it's still an award show, but it's more of a discussion. Uh, I mean, a dub. Just looking back on the year, you have you have any thoughts gaming wise? You, you got you got new consoles, you got a new TV, played some new games. How how was your year, twenty twenty one gaming? My year has been exceptional. Uh, lucky me, you know, it hasn't been that way for everybody. But I mean, what year is for everybody? We started off. Of course, we have the console shortages. That's a that's a big that's a bit of an issue you know there are all kinds of smaller issues within that however as people have been getting the consoles as they've been on the market for month after month we're beginning to see them you know spread their wings sprout their feathers and and take flight we're starting to see current gen only games we're starting to see the tail end of the cross gen games that we've been getting ready to enjoy we're just right on the doorstep of the next like big glut of games that are going to define what gaming is until 2023. So, you know, it's, it's been outstanding. I, like I said, I got both consoles, the series X, the PS five, I got a brand new television, 4k ultra HD, 120 Hertz. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, it's, just been all about substantial upgrades, improvements. We're seeing the rollout of Unreal Engine 5. I mean, we got the what the Matrix experience that you can download on your Xbox or your PlayStation to give you a glimpse of what the future of gaming looks like. We have China showing up to gaming in a big way with tons of projects across different kinds of genres, bringing their unique Eastern flair to a gaming industry that has been starving for it. And, you know, we're seeing existing developers coming into just unrivaled prominence, you know, from software has got Elden Ring setting the internet on fire right now. A lot of things have happened and there's a lot of things yet to happen. Like we're just at the beginning. There's been a lot of hot button issues. People have been at home due to the pandemic and that has resulted in probably the best years for gaming that there ever have been because you know, people couldn't go anywhere. They needed something to occupy their minds. In many cases, occupy their bodies. We saw the, the breakout success of Ring Fit. <laughs> couldn't be found anywhere. Switch is also a big winner in 2021, as it was in 2020, building on the success of Animal Crossing and things of that nature. So, I mean, it's it's been phenomenal, both personally and in general. AMC, how has your year in gaming been? Yeah, my year's been awesome. Um, many similar things as you. Got a console, got the got my PS5, got uh got a new TV. That was a, a great way to close out the year. Like getting the console was enough to be like, oh, I feel like I'm moving into the future. But once I got the TV to go with it, it just like I, I felt like it just everything came together at that point. It's like now I'm truly next gen 
or like of the times, I guess, depending how you look at it. So yeah, that was, that was a huge thing. Gaming wise played a bunch of great games. I know it was a year where people were, you know, somewhat down as far as like, Oh, where's the big, where's the big game. But like, as we always discuss, unless it's like a Nintendo console, this not often that, you know, your your first year is going to be your biggest year as far as the games go uh and so yeah like with that um yeah it's i i thought personally every game i played was uh, awesome played some ports from switch titles played some newness um still haven't gotten a chance to really play that true ps5 game experience hold it on to uh final fantasy 7 remake if anything i would say on a personal level 2021 was the year where i realized there are just way too many good games out there. So like as much as with anything contradicting what people would like to believe, like, Oh, there's not enough games. Uh, this, this is the down year in gaming. I just found myself just buying games, buying so many games and just adding them into my backlog to a point where I had to now start making a list of the games that I have that I want to play as a deterrence for me to continue to buy games that I want to play. <laughs> and just slowly with that, like, you know, with this baby coming is just a reminder of yeah there's i'm just never going to be able to play every game that i want to play and that's solely just becoming a reality now to the point where i've now completely accepted that and i'm I'm now making the adjustments as far as my hype levels go for certain games because of that and yeah that that's pretty much 2021 i know like with you same instance you're you're focusing on some more um making making that that next step as far as like your career and just on personal level stuff and so you know you kind of like cut back on gaming time to focus on you know bettering your education and things along those lines and i think that's that's another thing that happened in 2021 is just the uh the life part the life aspect bumping up against video games and still trying to make both of them work and you know as long as those things can always work together, I think I'm always going to be happy on a personal level, I would say. No, so, yeah, no. it's uh, trying to trying to win in both arenas. And so, yeah, um, overall, 2021, an absolute awesome year. But A-Dub, let's just get right into these categories of the show. <laughs> categories of the show. <laughs> of the show. <laughs> categories of the show. Categories of the show. <laughs> you want to you wanna lead off or you want me to lead off? Well, we'll lead off with a with a note of positivity before we get down into the muck and the mire that is the trolleys. So we'll start off with most anticipated game of the year. 2022, yeah. 2022, 2022. So within this category, I mean, there is a laundry list of candidates that we know of, others that we hope might make an appearance next year. I mean, of course, we have the likes of Horizon Forbidden West. We have Elden Ring. We have Sifu. We have Saints Row Reboot. We got Starfields on there. What else do we have in most anticipated for 2022? We've got a war. Right? Gran Turismo 7. I forgot forgot about God of War, to be honest. When I was coming up on my list, damn, that's right. So many games. This was was the year where it's just, it's stacked. Like, the entire year all we talked about was 2022 is going to be insane to the point where we've seen games delayed because of just how packed everything is yes triangle strategy yes triangle. oh yes definitely triangle strategy i mean it, it the more that we sit and think about what's coming out next year it's just 
heavy hitter after heavy hitter. Like, isn't Stalker 2 coming out next year? And they got into a whole bunch of trouble with people over NFTs. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be the uh, <laughs> next year's most trolls. <laughs> oh, so the, oh, there we go. April 2022. So we can see that. I mean, that game got an excellent gameplay reveal at one of Xbox's events. Outstanding visuals. So we're looking forward to that. Oh, man. Yeah. But among these nominees, AMC, what's your most anticipated game of 2022? So for me, I basically broke it down to three games. Um, the big three are Triangle Strategy, Sifu, and Elden Ring. And surprisingly, mm. they all come out around the same time. So that's going to be interesting to navigate. Uh, Sifu obviously coming out first. I believe that's early February. Elden Ring uh, towards the end, mid maybe. And then Triangle Strategy early March. So yeah, they all come out around the same time. I look at this list and Sifu is definitely right there. It's just that that elements of roguelike, roguelite, you got kung fu. So it's it's scratching that similar itch that I had with Ghost of Tsushima where it's I really want to play a samurai game. This really want to play a dope ass hand-to-hand kung fu style of game. Um so it's scratching mini itches right there. Elder Ring, you look at that game. Uh, I as I mentioned, I've been off of I'm not down on, you know, from games. It's just I hit a point where when I didn't beat Bloodborne, it was like I need a break from from software style of games. Um, and then didn't play, was it Sekiro? Didn't play. You're missing out on that one. Yeah, there was one other one that I didn't play. And then Elden Ring comes out, gets a net, or at least gets announced. You see more from the game. You see what it has to offer. And, you know, as I mentioned on previous episodes, just having it, having a from software game repackaged in an open world setting is enough there to now just have me like have me by the hooks. And so Elden Ring is right there. And in triangle strategy, what can I say about that? I've been, I've been really on this game for a while now, ever since I played Octopath Traveler. And this is now the, the tactical turn-based version of that. I loved the turn-based that they did so well in Octopath on top of that, that 2D HD mechanics that they giving you that retro feel, but just bringing everything else to a modern setting with the, with an excellent um, voice acting and, you know, music composition on top of that. So it's just the entire package. And with that, you know, I got to say my most anticipated game is obviously going to be Triangle Strategy. Um, oh! Yeah, when I beat Octopath Traveler, that was one of those ones, it was a long-ass fucking game, and I absolutely loved every minute of it, but when I beat it, I was like, you know, if they put out an, an Octanine Traveler <laughs> sequel, whatever, follow-up, uh, I probably would have skipped it, just because that game took so much to, like, took so much out of me and just just so much concentration and building and grinding and story and all that stuff like i i wouldn't want to go through that again at least so soon i would need a little bit of a break but then when they announced triangle strategy would be tactics it was enough of a change in the combat system um and a new look that you know it would be just a different enough of experience where it's i'm right back in and so yeah i there's no doubt it's triangle strategy. Sifu is, if anything, is right there with it. But I know just based off of my love of Octopath Traveler that triangle strategy will be as good, if not better. And so that is easily my most anticipated. But A-Dub, what is your most anticipated game of 2022? Well, if I had to break it down into a top three, that would shake out 
to Horizon Forbidden West, Elden Ring, so we got some overlap there, and Starfield. Mm-hmm. Now, Horizon Forbidden West, I'm a massive fan of Horizon Zero Dawn. As soon as I finished it, I was like, I need more of this. I do have the Frozen Wilds DLC, and that's something I should probably play through before Forbidden West comes out. I'm totally getting Forbidden West as soon as it hits, and I'm excited to see all, all the new robots. I'm excited to take advantage of all the new gameplay mechanics, that grappling hook, the climb anywhere mechanics, uh, as well as the, the glider, you know, all the enhanced melee combat. Looking forward to seeing how that plays in conjunction with the improved NPC AI. You know, they've done a lot of work to patch a lot of the, the flaws from the original that people complained about. Overall, I thought the original was an excellent debut, visually stunning, original story, outstanding just content insofar as running around in this world you're primitive, but you're futuristic, and you're fighting against robot animals. What else could you possibly ask for? So Horizon Forbidden West definitely stands up as one of the games I'm most looking forward to. Elden Ring, I think you said everything quite well. Just from my personal take, you know, I I almost beat Demon Souls. I've played the hell out of Dark Souls multiple times and only made it like to the halfway point. Made it a little beyond the halfway point. In Bloodborne, beat Sekiro in short order, easily one of my favorite FromSoft games of all time, you know, only taking a backseat to the Armored Core franchise as a whole, but that's because I go way back, unlike some of y'all new school fans. Anyway, Elden Ring is, it looks like it is the culmination of all things that is Souls, that is FromSoft, and like I said, being set in that open world, having that massive area to explore, being able to go in any direction you want, having just a living, breathing world of Souls content is something that is, it, that was the dream, and they're making it a reality. We've seen the network test, we've seen hours of gameplay footage from different sources, we've gotten all kinds of write-ups, how there's, like, just how they're making being a magic user a more viable play style than just, oh, it's easy mode, just use your spirit arrow. Like, no, you got straight up spells, summoning just pure <laughs> carnage and rain on his enemies, optional bosses roaming around in the open world that you aren't confined into a room with. You know, it, it, platforming, we, we have a jump button now, you have a mount, a demon goat hopping up the side of mountains. So, there's a lot here to make Elden Ring into a unique experience while encapsulating all things that make the Souls experience the, you know, the best franchise of the past decade, most influential. Totally agree with that. Uh, Starfield, that's one that I'm looking at as, you know, this, it, it looks like a game that's being made specifically for me. You know, all I've ever wanted was, a future, a super futuristic, like space oriented Skyrim slash Fallout kind of experience where you have that third person, you got a spaceship, you're going to different planets, you're hunting for aliens, and you're interacting with intelligent species, going into towns, getting missions. So it's like all the things that I love about Bethesda RPGs, but set in a, a futuristic science fiction fantasy like that was that's a dream come true for me i'm 
very much looking forward to seeing gameplay from that. And yeah, man, the more I can learn, the better. They're doing a great job with their marketing, showing off concept art and talking about the design philosophy of the game, you know, the kind of things that they're going in thinking in order to make it exactly what they want it to be. So for me, overall, A-Dub's most anticipated game of 2022 would have to be, without question, Starfield. That's the game I'm looking to to possibly be my forever game, the one game that I can play endlessly. You know, certain people are able to play Skyrim over several generations of hardware on every platform they possibly can, playing all the classes, doing things differently. I'm looking for a similar outcome when it comes to Starfield. I mean, ideally, I just want to have that open world space experience you know that's something i went into no man's sky looking for and while it definitely achieved that in its own unique manner it wasn't quite what i was looking for i want something with with combat with dismemberment with items and quests and uh, you know storylines and things no man's sky did an excellent job in allowing me to explore an infinite universe at my leisure gave me tons of content in order to do it with there was some light combat and things like that, but I want something more of that Bethesda ilk. And thankfully, Bethesda is making Starfield, which I'm highly anticipating. Mm, all right. Well, let's move into the next category, A-Dub. Categories of the show. Categories of the show. Categories of the show. Yes. Uh, and this next one, we'll be discussing a, a, a personal favorite of mine. I think the title of the category changes every year, but it centers around the same thing. And that is the retired troll comment. This is basically the, the comment that we see constantly that it is about time control issues retires this from the internet. You no longer can say this. And the reasoning behind the retirement is we've now seen through the bullshit of the comment. Yes. And now that we've seen through the bullshit, you can't say it anymore because we know what you're really on. And if you say it, you're basically really just saying this other thing. Yeah. You've used it so much <laughs> that like the, the novelty of it, the trick has worn off. You can see the other hand moving behind the back with the, <laughs> with the other card. And it's like, ah, you're just, you're just trying to pull a fast one on everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and there's plenty of things that we could use. I mean, the concern, the concern trolling is always a good one. I have concerns. I have concerns. Um, I'm sure that will maybe come back. Maybe we'll retire next year. But yeah, the, because I, I have concerns has been evolving into uh, I, I have a bad feeling. About yeah. <laughs> exactly. So it's trying to hide itself from being retired, but we're on to you, concern trolls. We're on to the concern trolls. So the one that we landed on, um, and we'll get into this, but it is the the comment that I'll wait for a price drop. Mm. And the reason why I'm waiting wait, for a sale, waiting for a flash <laughs> sale, for a price drop, not at full price. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And the reason behind this is the uh, the implication that there's something wrong with the game. Thus, I'm going to pay for it at a cheaper value. Mm. And, game's not quite good enough. Yeah. And so it's, it's right there. It's that assumption that there's something wrong there. And there's all types of excuses. And with those excuses, we're able to land at this has nothing to do with, you know, that there's something wrong with the game. It's that 
you don't want to pay full price for anything. <laughs> anything. anything. Because like it's the whole thing, it really reached ahead once Sony announced that they were going to be charging $70 for their first party game. So of course people got up in arms. I'm not I'll never pay $70 for a game. It's like we're we're getting upset about $10. Let's get real here. So that was the breaking point. $60 was fine. $70. Now people's socioeconomic conditions are coming into the picture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's a, it's a big deal. But what you then see is that games that aren't $70 are also met with the, oh, I'm not going to. I'm going to wait for a sale. I'm going to wait for it to hit PS Plus. I'm going to wait for it to go to Game Pass. And then... What really pushed things past the tipping point? I dang, what game was that? I can't remember the game specifically, but the game was like thirty bucks, and some and people were like, "Yeah, I'll wait for a sale." It's like it's thirty dollars. It's not seventy dollars. That was <laughs> that was the problem everybody had was, oh, I don't want to pay seventy dollars. But as you go from game to game, as you go from excuse to excuse, oh, it's, I only pay that much money for games I know I'll enjoy. I only pay that much for games that'll give me at least a hundred hours. I only pay that much for triple A games that are coming from solid developers. Oh, I only play that. Pay that much for games. It's. It's always something, but for some reason, it always falls back to the price that's being asked at the register is not something that I want to pay. Yeah. So the two examples that really like carried the year in my eyes when it came to, you know, the value were, was Returnal one with the, uh, it's, is this really AAA? Where's the production value? There's not a ton of story here. It's a a roguelike. How can you charge $70 for a roguelike? And so that was one of the ones where I was just like, just tired of it. And they, they came up with all the excuses, which we'll get into later in the show, but they, they, they tried to find everything wrong with the game in their eyes to then justify it not being worth a $70 value. So that was the beginning of the bullshit where I saw that $70 thing come to come to play. And then for me, then it was when Metroid Dread came out, a game that I was super anticipating $60, like you can expect with any Switch game. And people are like, oh, hell no, this is a, this is just a 2D game, a retro game. I could have played this on an older console. This isn't, this isn't uh, 3D. So why would I pay $60 for it? Oh, the game isn't <laughs> long enough. It's only 13 hours. I'm not paying $60 for a 13 hour game and so on and so forth. And that's where I was like, oh, so it's not even about $70 anymore. Now it's a $60 game is not worth its value. Metroid. And- yeah, Metroid, <laughs> a franchise that's been around forever. A highly uh, reviewed, well-received Metroid. It's not like it was a bad game. A, a lot of people's game of the year is like arguably when it came to like the the game awards. So yeah, it was just one of those things where I it, it made no sense to me. Um, but yeah, and then you throw on top of that a lot of people discussing Game Pass and the value of Game Pass and oh, this game came out, got it on, got a day one on Game Pass, only had to pay whatever 14 bucks a month or whatever it is for game pass uh it's a great value and so it's there it's somewhat trolling paying full price because it's the oh sony fanboys you gotta pay 70 dollars for your games well we get it on game pass for for a cheaper value isn't it such a great value (laughs) uh, waiting for sales (laughs) yeah and uh yeah and so that that was the that was kind of for me where it was like oh it was never about like games 
games having an issue and thus I'm not going to pay full price is that any type of discount you'll hop on and gloat about it. If a game ends up on PS plus, you'd be like, LOL, I was about to buy this game. Mm. <laughs> and so all of that kind of just points out the bullshit of the, the average gamer who is not willing to pay full price, but is yet in full support of the developers and the little guy. <laughs> My favorite is when, Oh, I bought this game last week on sale. Now it's free on PS plus. <laughs> <laughs> They should give me a refund. <laughs> yes, I have yeah, seen man. that before. Like, oh, this yeah. game just came out and now it's on sale. Uh, uh, they need to announce when games are going on sale. <laughs> they need to tell me when I don't need to spend more money. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the fact that we don't even have to get into it, but I mean, what's your kind of your justification of paying full price? Because I know you are a big support the developer, pay full price for your games person. Well, it, it comes back to one of the comments one of the trolls had about paying full price where it's like, I only pay $70 for games. I know I'm going to enjoy $70 is too much to spend on a whim. It's like, well, don't spend $70 on a whim in the first place. You should only be spending your money on things you enjoy, whether it's $70 or anything less. I know myself. I know what I like. I know what I want. Uh, we just went through our most anticipated games. At some point or another, I'm going to own all those games. Horizon Forbidden West, I'm for damn sure paying $70 for because I paid $60 for Horizon Zero Dawn when that came out because I wanted it. It looked phenomenal. It had all the subject matter and the content that I wanted to be engaged with. I bought it. Sure enough, I enjoyed it. I want the sequel as soon as possible. So I'm going to pay the money for that. Starfield, I'm paying whatever that costs. I might even get a collector's edition if one gets announced and pay even more than $70 because I... Look, fellas, if you want something, <laughs> get it. Like it's, It comes back to Game Pass in a way because there's this, there's this underlying desire by some subset of gamers that want to play everything and not even play everything they want to try everything like let's look at forza horizon 5 as an example of that perfect 10 from ign i believe is um ign's 2021 game of the year it's lauded as you know the best racing game out i have it i absolutely love it it's one of the reasons why i made sure that i had an xbox series x before it came along and when Microsoft puts out the numbers, like 4 million, 4 million people have played Forza Horizon 5, 8 million people, 12 million people, and like people all on the Xbox forums are, you know, celebrating and jumping up and down. It's like, oh, this game is 12 million people. That's huge. It's bigger than the Gran Turismo. But then you look within the threads and you see people saying, yeah, I, I tried it. I don't really like racing games uninstalled it in 15 minutes oh i tried it for an hour and a half didn't really like it uninstalled it and it's like how many millions upon millions of those people who have played the game are just people who tried it for about a couple of hours and moved on so it's you have with this game pass generation you have people that are inflating these engagement numbers just by you know tasting a game and then moving on that doesn't that doesn't help anybody or help anything. I'm not in here 
to try to figure out what my tastes are. I'm not out here flying blind. I know me. I know what I like. I know what I want. And I'm going to spend my money on the things that I want because I want them to continue to be made and to continue to improve. You have to signal to the industry the things that you want to see from them. And if you're just waiting around from sales, you're basically silent. Like you're like, I'm at, let's look at it like this. Imagine an election where instead of voting on election day, you just held your vote <laughs> until the candidates like gave you, gave you more things that you wanted or something, or it just, the value of your vote went up and then you vote like several months later. That's not how things work. It's the people who are voting within the election period that are determining what the future of things are going to be. You know, like you're just coming along like, oh, well, I didn't, I didn't vote for that guy. It's like, yeah, you didn't vote at all. You were just standing on the sideline. We voted, we're determining the future and the shape of gaming, so you know, when you see things that you don't like, just realize you did nothing to stop it. Yeah, no, I, for me, it's the, the contradiction is the, I want to play this game. <laughs> in, in, like kind of what you're alluding to with people want to sample, wanting to sample everything. It's the, I'll wait for a price drop. It's just like, oh, the game looks good, but I don't want to pay for it. And that's like, wait, so you want to play it but you don't want to pay for the game mm -hmm. and that like that that right there is the issue is like it'd be one thing if you're just like oh the game is just not interesting to me moving on but the i want to play it but i don't want to give them like the full dollar amount is like i don't know it's a it's a lack of value as far as your time i would say because i don't know people were always complaining about playing mediocre games there's an easy way to alleviate that issue which is don't play games that you don't think you're going to be interested in but i think a lot of people look at something and they're like oh it has one or two things that seem interesting to me so i'm gonna go ahead and play it and then they play it and then they go online they play about like a couple hours they go online and they're like i played it the game was trash yeah yeah and it was like yeah it was a self-fulfilling prophecy you weren't interested in the game you didn't want to pay for it you finally waited for it to drop you paid very little for it thus already dropping your expectations for the game and then when they met those lowered expectations you then just go on and you try to say you try to use that as an excuse as to why the game is bad and why anybody else would be excited for it completely confuses you. Um, so yeah, that's like, that's my whole issue with the uh, not wanting to pay full price. It's if you're not interested, then don't be interested, but don't do that. Like half-ass like, well, I'm kind of interested, but not yeah. at a $60 value or $70 value or whatever price there that they want for it. And as you're saying, $30 is like nothing, but because they asked for $30, well, I'm going to say it's worth less than that. <laughs> yeah. Like everybody, everybody's a negotiator. <laughs> yeah. But, it, but then it, it, it's also a factor of people not understanding how to read hype in discussion because people are playing games just because they got high review scores. It's like, oh, it got a high review score. That means it must be a good game, regardless of if I'm into that, that genre or you know that franchise or that developer, despite past experiences that tell me that I probably wouldn't like this game no matter how it was reviewed. And they go in anyway, like, oh, I got a high review. I Normally I don't like this genre. I went in with an open mind, but I still don't like this genre. <laughs> it's like, like I said, self-fulfilling prophecy. And at the same time, it's also hype. People will go on the internet and they see 
discussion topics about a game and people talking about how great it is, again, being something that they personally don't like the genre of, maybe don't like the developer of, maybe don't like the franchise in general, but because people are talking about it so positively, you're like, oh, well, maybe it'll be different this time. It's not going to be different this time. It's going to be the same every time, every fucking time. So, yeah, it's... it just comes back to exactly what I said. People don't know themselves. People don't know what they like. Either that or they aren't listening to their past experiences and going by history. It's like, look, you aren't going to start liking racing games just because it got a 10. You aren't going to start liking racing games just because it has the highest engagement numbers of the franchise on the console. It's, if you're not into something, you're not going to get into it. You can't force yourself to like something. It's not going to be different. Just keep moving stick to what you know, make a, make an educated guess here and there, like still have an open mind, give things a chance, but don't follow every game thinking that the review scores or the discussion or the engagement are any indicator that your personal tastes and preferences are going to be fulfilled. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, Yeah. The only thing I would say with a, I guess the benefit of Game Pass is that I think it does, in a way, it lowers that that bullshit barrier, I would say, as far as people, because they're not paying whatever that perceived like overvalue of $60 or $70 for a game, mm-hmm. I think the criticism is then lowered and people are then just enjoying something for what it is, or at least the the negativity, if they had some towards it, because they didn't pay whatever that perceived ridiculous price was for the game, they kind of let all that bullshit go aside. And so like, I would think of like a game like this year, was it Outriders? I believe it came out this year, but something like that, where I think people would have gone harder at that game, but because it was day one on game pass, it was like, well, you know, I didn't pay full price and I actually enjoyed playing this game. (laughs) And so like some games like that kind of get their due, I would say, because of the fact that, you have like a service like game pass to then let people just enjoy the game for what it is, as opposed to all these other outside factors that they weigh into whether or not they're going to enjoy it, especially on like some superficial thing, as far as like not wanting to pay full price. So in a way, a lot of the negativity around games, isn't really even about the game itself or whether it's good or not. It's about, I spent money on something that I didn't enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't I can't get that money back now. <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, and that's why yeah. this is our retired troll yeah. <laughs> you, you got the next one, A dub. Categories of the show, categories of the show. The show. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're moving into everybody's favorite category. Oh yes. What people come far and wide to the trolleys to see this is how we pack the stands this is how we get the ladies in their finest dresses this is how we get the fellas suited and booted this is how we put asses in seats we got most trolls (laughs) yes most trolled as you guys know this category looks back on the year and you know we always do troll of the week but at this time of year we like to look at the victims of the trolling and determine who got it worse and how bad was it. (laughs) (laughs) So this year's nominees for most trolls. Let's start with Sony. (laughs) 
So, I mean, this whole past year, I mean, Jim Ryan has had so many calls for his job, for his head, for, you know, various comments, various, various actions. I mean, there was the, there was the, what we, we believe in generations comment that people Mm -hmm. took completely out of context. There was the, there was the momentary change in policy with Horizon Forbidden West that we here at Control Issues completely understand. Circumstances change with the game and its launch window. The circumstances change with how Sony felt it should go about its upgrade path. People got upset. They went back to what they did originally in spite of the changing circumstances. Uh, Jim Bryan had another comment about about old games and how he just doesn't understand how people can play older games with them graphics. I kind of agree with that. Oh, <laughs> uh, Sody, what else you doing? I mean, there was the whole shutdown of the D brand company and their what their aftermarket black PS5 plates that people were so ready to buy. And now recently Sony has put out their own black plates along with blue and purple. But people think it's too much. People don't want to buy it now. <laughs> yeah. A lot of oh, a man. lot of this is the PS3 Sony all over again. Yeah, they're, they're thinking too high. They're not thinking of the little guy. I even like there are comments about like just marketing as far as like oh they're not friendly with indie developers anymore, or they're not supporting and, they're not supporting certain games like Kenna the way that they should. And recently, it has <laughs> come out that Jim Ryan has stated that they're going to reevaluate how the, their relations with indie developers are going in order to try to improve that. So, you know, Sony is making an effort to improve. <laughs> yeah. And then what you said, like with the scalping, it's, you know, being a victim of your own success and that people wouldn't be upset about the scalping if people weren't like just fighting to get, or, or like just weren't super hungry for PlayStation fives, mm-hmm. but yet, at the same time, there's all this criticism of Sony and how they're doing things and how people aren't happy with how they're doing things. While at the same time, people can't wait to get their hands on Sony products. Yep. So it's just it's just a level of contradiction as far as how people perceive Sony versus their, I guess, position to Sony as far as how they purchase their their how what they spend their money on is all of it's going to sony and yet they're just upset with anything any decision that sony makes <laughs> yeah such as not having a big holiday release to go head to head against halo infinite yeah. <laughs> yeah things of that nature so next candidate cross-gen gaming <laughs> mm-hmm. so as with any hardware generation of course we're gonna have a little bit of overlap as developers get into the full swing of what is now current gen development. You know, at the same token, it'd be kind of foolish to ignore an install base of over 100 million consoles. That's a lot of money to leave on the table. And it's, it's a transition period. We're trying to get people with the new consoles. Unfortunately, the shortage isn't really helping, even though PS5s and Xboxes are selling in record numbers still. So, People have had all kinds of ill will toward cross-gen games. There's even a little war going on between Xbox Smart Delivery and Sony's $10 upgrade policy of how you can get your PS4 games and then upgrade them to the PS5 versions for an extra 10 bucks, bringing the grand total to a 70. (laughs) So yeah, that's our next candidate. Candidate number three, 
$70 games. <laughs> so as we hit on with the retired troll comment, people don't want to pay for games. And Sony was like, not only are you going to pay for our games, you're going to pay a little more because these games are more complex. They're more impressive. They got higher production values. The cost of development has gone up. We got to get a little butter on the side. So we got a, some sample trolls to give you an idea of how people feel about this topic. Uh, first troll says, it's not that I refuse to pay that much. It's just that I can't afford it. My socioeconomic status prevents me from paying that much. Basically, they're discriminating. $10. You paid $500 or more for a PlayStation 5. You can't pay $70 for a game here and there. What's, what's going on? How'd you get the 500? Where's the money coming from? Where did the money go? What are your other habits and hobbies? You're either in this or you're not in this. Next troll says, I don't like using the word sheep, but the amount of people here that are fine, willing to get ass fucked with a $70 price is perplexing. It's $10. Perplexing. <laughs> perplexing. You just can't bring yourself to understand how someone could possibly pay a reasonable amount of money for something that they're looking forward to or excited about. That's unbelievable. Meanwhile, people spend $200 to go to Disneyland. That's not an issue. So they could stand in line for several hours to get on fucking Splash Mountain. But, you know, as long as everybody's happy, as long as everybody's having a good time, then the money spent was worth it. You want to buy experiences. You don't want to buy things. Next candidate. For most troll scalping <laughs> yeah, these are all just in the sony category <laughs> yeah. Yeah. oh man oh well scalpers kind of lost their goddamn minds in 2021 i mean it started with the consoles because you know due to the pandemic and the lockdowns it was decided that consoles could only be sold online so as a result that just opened up all consoles around the world to being fair game for anybody with a bot. So people are buying these bots. They're just, they're putting in their information. Every time there's a console drop online, these bots just swoop in, get them all in conjunction with people who are legitimately buying them as end users. But basically consoles start popping up on the internet. They're marked up to 700, 800, 900, $1,000. And, people begin getting the idea that, oh, real people aren't buying these consoles. It's just scalpers. They're pulling them off the market. The shortage is because of the scalpers, yeah, not because there just aren't enough consoles for everybody who wants them because there would have been a shortage without scalpers anyway. However, uh, scalpers ended up being blamed for all the ills of the earth and they did themselves no favors. They went from buying up all the consoles to turning their attention to every like sought after big ticket item or just, you know, high demand hyped up product yeah, that could say, possibly this, be purchased. This online. issue is, is, is pretty much as you were mentioning, but you know, this one goes back to 2020 where people are buying up hand sanitizer yeah. and then trying to sell it at a market value, buying up, buying up masks, buying up anything Toilet that people paper. needed at that time. And then trying to resell it at a higher value. And then it just, it bled into the video gaming space. And yeah, as you mentioned, it's now just pretty much everywhere. <laughs> I mean, scalpers buying Legos, they're buying graphics cards, they're buying sneakers. They're, like it all started from the sneaker game because scalpers were just exploiting 
the the Nike sneakers app and all kinds of other just shoe oriented purchase portals in order for themselves to be able to get these shoes, resell them at markup, you know, StockX and all these other you know, stadium goods, all these other things were, you know, a big source of revenue for people who could get their hands on these items and flip them as soon as possible. It turned to the consoles when they went online only sales and then it just spun out of control from there. Like when Legos are popping up on StockX, you got a problem when graphics cards like graphics cards were already suffering because of the bitcoin miners that were buying them just for their computational power but then once it became like oh we could buy these or we sell them to these motherfuckers then just things spun out of control so let's give you some sample trolls for the scalpers first troll says scalpers are just trash people next troll says scum Next troll says, every time I read about a scalper getting robbed, it brings a smile to my face. The irony is just too delicious. Uh, a couple of things there. First of all, you should not take joy in other people getting robbed, threatened with violence, possibly hurt or murdered, as in the case of some encounters with people trying to sell, resell consoles. So, you know, that's not something joyful or ironic and it's not irony because scalpers are legitimately purchasing these consoles and reselling them in legitimate resale like this is all a part of the game this is how the world goes like it, fuck is wrong with you <laughs> but moving along next candidate for most trolls activision blizzard <laughs> all right so as some of you may or may not know Activision Blizzard has been in some pretty hot water and more water continues to be poured on them while the heat continues to be turned up. It all began with, you know, allegations of sexual misconduct and harassment, unfair payment and hiring practices, you know, just hostile work environment. And from there, somehow it just kept getting worse. I mean, there were a lot of high profile departures you know, they had to rename McCree in Overwatch because of the depart the departure of Jesse McCree, who the character was named after, which some people will tell you was not the case, but it was the case. Uh, we even got to the point where the state of California has decided to launch an investigation into Activision Blizzard and what's going on in their internal company culture. We've heard terms such as the Cosby suite, which I still don't know what that means. AMC, could you add anything there? The ugly sweater suite. No the ugly sweater suite. The holiday sweater suite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nuts. And, you know, it, it all compounds with other complaints about Activision Blizzard. Of course, people always have their complaints about Call of Duty. It's annualized. It doesn't change. It still sells 14 million copies a year. And then Blizzard's yeah, well, next well, game. This one, this specific Call of Duty, it was more of just the, I don't think they've, done enough like they like they were comparing there are talks of this being compared to ghosts in a way of like oh this is one of the worst call of duty so it's not even that this is the same one as last year's it's they made an objectively worse call of duty game apparently and so people were mad about that and so yeah that just builds on activision doesn't make enough games and now the one game that they do make 
they are completely fucking up. And so now Activision, oh, we're now, it's not just your workplace is a problem. Now your products are a problem. Keep it going with Blizzard. And Blizzard, you know, the ongoing absence of their next game. We're still waiting for Overwatch 2. We're still waiting for Diablo 4. We just got the news not too long ago that both of those games were delayed from their anticipated 2022 window, which would have made 2022 possibly the greatest year in gaming history, to sometime in 2023 or beyond uh, people have all manner of things to say about these various issues but when they start to overlap is when you get the more interesting comments such as you know people who are looking forward to overwatch 2 and diablo 4 met with the opposition from people who have very hard feelings about all the workplace allegations and investigations underway to the point where it's like, how can you still support this company and want to buy their games or going to boycott all their games? It's like, okay, the, the people within the company are the ones victimized by other people within the company. So you're going to punish the company, including the victims by not supporting their games. That's not how that works. So it even culminated with what's looking like some very unflattering information coming out about Bobby Kotick knowing about these this this workplace environment and doing nothing about it. Uh, I believe he was noted as threatening an employee who was making allegations and things like that. I, I think there was a suicide involved. So it gets deep and we'll let these sample trolls give you an idea how deep it goes. First troll says, Bobby is and always will be a cancer to the gaming world. Next troll says, fuck Activision Blizzard. Fuck Bobby Cotter. Next troll says, hope they burn along with their cell phones. Somebody who's still bitter about Diablo Immortal. <laughs> so yeah, moving along from Activision Blizzard. Next candidate, Ubisoft. So you know, Ubisoft always on the tip of people's tongues, whether people are limit, uh, what is it, lavishing praise on the Assassin's Creed franchise, or they are lamenting the Ubi filler, Ubisoft formula of open world games full of their icons and markers and so formulaic and you climb a tower and you look at stuff. So we've seen all manner of criticism about Far Cry 6, uh, Ubisoft opting to make some pretty substantial changes to the gameplay experience of the Far Cry franchise, much to the delight of some and the chagrin of others. The latter being upset that, oh, why are the enemies bullet sponges? I'm shooting them in the head. You know, it, this is in response to a change made to Far Cry 6 where you now need the right weapon as well as the right type of ammo to efficiently take down enemies. I mean, they've had their, they've had their workplace allegations and things of that nature. I, mean, I I know specifically of whenever it came to Assassin's Creed and the idea of making a female lead character, how there was pushback from higher-ups at Ubisoft saying it's it it's more difficult to make a female character because it's it's different animations and it just it just wouldn't work. And then you end up having dual male and female protagonists in Assassin's Creed Odyssey as well as Assassin's Creed Valhalla. So apparently it wasn't that tough and they were just talking some shit. AMC, you got anything to add about why Ubisoft has made the most troll nomination? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the workplace stuff is obvious. Um, we've definitely heard that. And um, 
I mean, at this point, only thing I would say is not even in their defense. It's just now I think every big like like publisher slash developer has had allegations at this point. And so now it's kind of seeing how bad the allegations are and then at how big of a scale. Because like we've seen it from Sony. I think Bungie recently got one this week. So, <laughs> yeah. So I think it's I think it's like if you know the company, I mean I think what we're learning is every company has a couple of assholes in there. And now it's just a matter of is it an Activision level of asshole, like where it's just like it seems to be in greater numbers, or you know, is it like an incident where there's like, hey, there is like one or two situations that kind of sucked with this person, and now that person's fired and the company moves on. But yeah, they Ubisoft had their issues. Um, I would say the one here is that the focus on Far Cry Six. As, as I've pointed out every week, seems to be a little blown out of proportion with the fact that like they're like, oh, it's one basically the same game. By all accounts, from what I hear, the people who are enjoying it are saying it's actually one of the better Far Cries. Uh, there was, depending on which, uh, which I guess, games, games journalism site you went to, there were issues with uh, their depiction of Latin American, like uh, Latin American people, I guess Hispanics. I'm, uh, I'm not sure. I think it takes place in kind of like a Cuba type area, um, if not Cuba, but um, like Dominican Republic, something. Yeah, like one of those situations where there's like a dictator. And um, so people didn't like how those people were depicted any, as far as any type of negativity, which the game, if anything, is kind of giving you a full picture as opposed to just these people are all on ready to become dictators is like how people look at it from an outside perspective yeah then on top of that um so you see that people are having very negative reactions to just the idea of what far cry 6 is as opposed to what the reality is and then i'm seeing now like articles like it's hard to it's hard for ubisoft to keep employees there people are trying to leave ubisoft yada 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 and it could be the case that people are leaving, but they're almost what it seems to be that what a lot of those the sites are doing is they're trying to make a connection with what they perceive to be the failure of Far Cry 6 and, and now people not liking working for the company. And as I said, by all accounts, there are a lot of people who are enjoying Far Cry 6. So it'd be weird that they would only pay attention to the few people that dislike the game as opposed to the people who are really enjoying the game, the people who are, you know, have been supporting it from the beginning. And so with that, it seemed like there was just a, a reaction that was very blown out of proportion. And thus now games journalism searching for any type of issue with Ubisoft to kind of make a greater argument that I think that doesn't really exist, but it is what it is with Ubisoft. What, yeah. what other ones do we have? All right. We got our last candidate for most trolled difficulty <laughs> so difficulty is a fun one because while it has been around for multiple years now it's really starting to grow tentacles and enrapture more aspects of gaming it's just popping up all over the place Anytime people are put into a situation where it's like, oh, this is a game I want to play, but it doesn't have the features that I want. Oh, it doesn't respect my time. Like it's, there are a lot of phrases and a lot of positions that have evolved from what is ultimately a foundation of difficulty. I mean, for one, we have the easy mode discussion, which was a big thing with From Software Games for the longest time. People have wanted to get into Dark Souls, Demon Souls, and Sekiro's. However, they're put off 
by the the story difficulty of these games and the inability to drop that down, which from software themselves has said is something that they aren't going to allow in their games because they want players to have a the same shared experience so that when we talk about things, when we give each other advice, we know what we're talking about. It's going to be the same for everybody. So, you know, people, this also comes back to my remarks earlier about how people misinterpret hype and misinterpret discussion. They see a game that by all accounts, they should just ignore and move on from. It doesn't have an easy mode. The, the developers clearly don't want you within their audience, yet because people keep talking about it, because it keeps selling more, because it's declared one of the most influ the most influential game of the past decade, because it continues to get good reviews, people want to be a part of the conversation. People want to experience that world and feel like they're a part of the group, a part of the phenomenon. However, there's a barrier to entry and they want that barrier lowered, but nobody's having it. So starts off with From Software. It's why isn't there an easy mode? Why isn't there an easy mode? They need to add an easy mode. It'll improve your sales. It'll give you broader reach. It'll make it more accessible. And then that's when the light bulb goes off in the easy mode brain where it's like, oh no, now it's not just about making the game easier. It's about making the game more accessible to people with disabilities. They can't play the game the way that they want to. You gotta make it easier for them to play the game and me to play the game, but them, because whenever there's a hot button issue, you need your Trojan horse in order to take your selfish desires to the next level and get them taken seriously. But really they're very innocuous and you know filed under not an issue. So it became, it became a desire for accessibility. And in that desire for it in games that didn't have it, it became a celebration of the games that do have it. I believe Ratchet and Clank has some awesome accessibility features. The Last of Us 2 has some awesome accessibility features. Psychonauts 2 has some awesome accessibility features. Speaking of that, eventually Microsoft chimed in with the whole easy mode discussion. They issued a tweet saying that everyone should be able to beat every game and to the degree of playing it any way that they want to. So that gave a little fire to the accessibility in easy mode, you know, demands. And it just keeps going. Uh, we used to always hear the term, the game doesn't respect my time. And that's all in response to, oh, there's a grind. There's things that I have to do before I can move the game forward. Oh, Dark Souls, when I die, it puts me all the way back at the bonfire and respawns the enemies. Oh, when I go to the bonfire, the enemies come back. The game doesn't respect my time. I don't, I shouldn't have to go all the way back to the boss room. I should just spawn right at the boss room. There should be checkpoints. And notice the theme here that no matter what these elements are, it continues to come back to Dark Souls or other difficult games of a similar nature, specifically roguelikes. Because in much in the same way as Dark Souls, roguelikes are built around the requirement of the player to not just start back from a bonfire or a checkpoint, but to start back from what is ultimately the beginning of the game. We saw this hit its peak discussion in earlier this year with the re 
release of Returnal. So with that game, there was no save feature. So if you died, you got sent all the way back to the beginning. And people weren't about this because not only did they have to restart the game, but they also couldn't save their point in time within a game. The game didn't respect their time. And then it also became an issue because the game was difficult. It's so challenging. I don't have, I don't have an hour to block out to explore these biomes of which they were very large and expansive in many cases. And people, you know, want to explore everything. They want to, they want to keep their weapons. They want to keep their progress. Ultimately with Returnal, it ended up being that they introduced a suspend feature, which you would think, okay, here's what you want. Here's what you've been asking for. So let's see you guys get in the game. Let's see you guys beat it. Uh, it's too late now. Oh, it's still too difficult. They need to turn it down. They need to add difficulty options. <laughs> it's always something. I mean, with roguelikes, we saw people really get into them because of Hades with its astoundingly well done dialogue it's art style and it was a particularly short game a given run in hades could be completed anywhere between 30 to 45 minutes and you know people didn't have a, have a much of a complaint there because it had checkpoints you go to a new room it saves you could pick up you play where you left off so hades became the the poster child for what a roguelike should be this is the way it should be. I should be. I should feel like I'm making progress, even if I'm not. The story makes me feel like things are happening. Notice the term "feels like" because people people like roguelikes. I will contend that at every point in the discussion, people really like roguelikes, but people are so hung up on their traditional views of progress and respecting their time that when you play a game that makes it seem like you aren't making progress when you really are, it, it upsets them, it frustrates them because they're being faced with their own failures and shortcomings and they don't know how to process that because despite playing games all this time, they opt for the path of least resistance and have conditioned themselves to getting patted on the back and given the best possible chance to succeed. Once you get back to these games that are more old school, that harken back to the days of pumping quarters in, into a machine to get extra lives and to continue on, like it's straight up pay to win. Like that's pay to win in all aspects of the phrase. But when you start getting back to that, people, they get, they just lock up. Like AMC, how did you feel about the evolution of the difficulty discussion as it pertains to the easy mode, roguelikes, the length and content of games, accessibility. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a funny one because it has like evolved from the beginning. Um, this year mainly being, you know, with Returnal and I think like roguelikes starting to get it and we're seeing this looking forward with Sifu with the announcement that it's not going to have difficulty uh, options. And once again, kind of a roguelike, roguelite. And so people are now noticing the trend. And for me, this is where we get into like the idea of when somebody's going to review a game and whether it's the review is based on that, that specific like category and what the developer intended versus what we come to expect from games in general. And so like a lot of times, like when people, if they go into a review and they mention difficulty as part of the review, 
the only way I can see difficulty being an issue is if there's literally something that is fundamentally wrong with the difficulty of the game. As far as like, oh, we get to this one point and it's supposed to work like this, but for some reason, everybody just dies here. Or there is this thing that happens and it doesn't make sense at all. And so that, that, that's, a, that's a, a literal design flaw. But when it's the intention of the developer to make something that is going to give you a challenge and you decide, well, I don't like that intention, thus this game is bad, then I think that's where you get into that argument like we were discussing earlier, or maybe not earlier, but if somebody's reviewing Forza and doesn't like race car games, why are you reviewing Forza? Like mm-hmm. You should just not be in that category unless your job is to represent the non-racing game fan who's going to try out a racing game. But you can't get upset when people then get upset with you, when the diehards get upset with you because they're like, well, you're not really even into these games that we like. So why are you putting out a review that's horrible and trying to drag down basically something that we all disagree with. Um, and so, yeah, that's like, that's where I get like, that's where I get like pretty upset with the difficulty. And then with that, they start coming up with the the distractions, as you mentioned with uh, when it came to Returnal and they're looking for every other excuse to explain why they don't like this game when ultimately it comes down to the difficulty that they're not comfortable with. And so they're saying like, well, it doesn't have a suspend feature. And it's like, well, how is that going to make the game easier for you? Yeah. It just means it's a convenient thing, which I totally appreciated with Hades because I could literally in the middle of a run, just stop. And then I could pick it back up where I left off. Now where you see where the, it's about difficulty and not about, cause the whole argument at the time was, Oh, well, like how can I have kids and how can I have a social life and play this game? But then you see right when they put in that option to, you know, back out of a game and, you know, turn off a PlayStation and have your state saved. Um, then people started immediately exploiting it. And so with that, then it was, okay, we just want to make this game easier. And so we're going to try to take any advantage possible that doesn't involve me just trying to actually get good at the video game. So all that then, yeah, as we pointed out, just comes back to difficulty. And the weird one with me is the the contradiction is, is a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an ongoing theme with a lot of these categories, the contradiction, whereas people are always talking about, I want the true experience of a game. And so anytime like you saw with like the GTA Definitive Edition and they they change certain things with it and it's like, well, this is not this is not the real game. This is not how the developer initially put it out. This is a difference. But then when it comes to something like Returnal and they find something that they don't like, then it's, I want to change it. But I, wanna, I, don't, I don't want that experience that the people who are enjoying this game are having i want a different experience i want you to put in these things that can change my experience and so it's like can you decide do you want the true experience as the developer intended or do you want your experience and that's where i think difficulty the argument there always like falls on its face is like no no no, you don't want the real experience you just want the easy experience you just literally want to experience it and um yeah, and that's where you then come to all the bullshit and all the excuses. And as you pointed out with the whole able able gamers thing, like I do get like accessibility being uh, an important thing for games to have. But I had mentioned in an episode I had listened to an interview with a, a couple of people who work for able gamers, and a lot of what they were talking about had to do with inputs. It's that the inputs for certain games. Um, don't work for people who have an issue with say holding down a button and things along those lines or having to repeatedly tap a button um whereas with when you talk about like Sekiro and and things like that it's all about precision and so there are ways to 
make a game where it's accessible for people to play where you then don't have to worry about smat button mashing and things along those lines. And so that's where I think precision versus me just wanting the game to be easier. Um, it's a, it's a completely different argument. And so, yeah, uh, difficulty on some bullshit, but a dub who is the winner for the most trolled The winner for most trolled 2021 is difficulty yeah. <laughs> and like this one it difficulty kind of ran away with this one just because of how utterly outrageous the arguments against difficulty have been in contrast to how simple and straightforward the defense of difficulty has been uh, let's look at it from the angle of why difficulty is fine for one very few games are without difficulty options. So if you don't like a game because it doesn't have an easy mode, you can easily go play any of the hundreds and thousands of games out there that do. Your needs are still being catered to. Your desires are still being met. What this suggests is that it's not about, you know, oh, this game should, it, it's not about, easy mode in itself is that you want to play this game. You just don't want to meet the bar that the developer wants its audience to meet. And then with the whole easy mode thing, it also comes back to $70 games and game pass and game fly and all these things. A lot of people just want to try the game or to just blow through it as fast as humanly possible so they can sell it for the highest amount that they can get and roll that over into the next game. So it's not even entirely about a game being too challenging to the point that it, it's a detriment to the player's personal experience is that you're fucking with my dollar value. And the longer it takes me to beat this game is the less money I can get from it when I'm tired of it or when I'm ready to move on. People generally try to get through those games in that first week and sell them when they're still the most desired games that are out at that particular point in time. And then just with the whole difficulty discussion, you got people who think that they're perfect, who think that mommy and daddy's little angel is just fine just the way they are. They don't want to challenge themselves when it comes to games. They don't want to improve when it comes to anything. Uh, you see this reflected when you talk to people about whether or not they have talents or any other kind of hobbies or skills. A lot of people, you'll be surprised how many people will straight up tell you, I don't have any talents. Oh, I wasn't, I tried to draw something. I wasn't very good at it. So I didn't ever try to draw anything again. Uh, I, can't, I tried to play basketball, but I wasn't very good at it. So I never did it again. I was good at this and this is what I do. I built a career around that. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's a lot of that where people think they're perfect. They don't need to change. There are people who think that just because they spent money on a game, they're entitled to see the credits and it's there are so many different approaches and viewpoints to how this difficulty discussion has evolved and it continues even to this day this is why difficulty is without a doubt the most trolled of 2021 amc anything yeah. to add yeah i would say for me personally it was a 1a 1b thing difficulty was definitely was the winner 
but Sony was right there. Um, <laughs> mainly because if, if, if you just look at this, Sony had not, not because of their own, because they, they intentionally were trying to piss people off, but they were just dragged into everything that we pretty much discussed here, whether it's okay. Sony cross gen people were upset about how they're handling cross gen and how they're going to handle the upgrades the $70 games, oh, games games shouldn't cost $70. They're overcharging. The scalpers, we want PS5s, but we don't want to overpay for PS5s. Even like Activision, it's like, mm-hmm. because like Sony is kind of, Sony took Microsoft's place as far as like the promotion of um, Activision, or Call of Duty specifically. And so there was this whole thing, like, is, is Sony going to still support Activision? Like, even though <laughs> there's all these issues going on. Um, and yeah, and the difficulty, the whole, like, we could just say a lot of this year's discussion with difficulty centered around Returnal, which is mm-hmm. uh, a PlayStation exclusive. And so, yeah, it's uh, Sony for me personally was just, was literally right there. Uh, overall difficulty because this is just an issue that is just continuing to grow and evolve so i i had to give it to difficulty but yeah sody was like literally right there and a big part of it too had had to do with the fact that whether or not they're deserving and i'd say difficulty is the most undeserving of criticism because it's literally something as you mentioned as dub mentioned you can avoid you can literally just play the game that is deemed too hard and not discuss it, play something else that's great and discuss that other great game. But it's because you feel like you need to play that game that now you're going to go online and just complain about how it doesn't have an easy mode. So really undeserving of it. Sony, I would say number two, because once again, they just they, they put out great games. It's not their fault that people are buying their consoles. Um, what we didn't mention is that A-Dub and I both have consoles and we didn't have to buy them from scalpers. We know other people who have consoles and didn't have to buy them from scalpers. They did, Microsoft and Sony did um, eventually implement new strategies of how to get out consoles. And that was by doing almost a direct a direct to consumer situation where they had um what is it the lottery system you go in there and you can only buy one console you can't buy multiple so if it, it took a lot of research but you were able to eventually get consoles without having to go to a scalper the easy way obviously for the people who don't know how to do it is just go to a scalper and then pay a little bit more money but if you did your research you were able to get a console you just had to do that goddamn research and um yeah any any of the other things that like you could discuss it's $70 games games have been $60 forever. Eventually they were going to do it. Also other publishers put out $70 games, 2k uh, namely. And so, yeah, this is going to be a thing that's going to be a next gen situation. Um, yeah, so yeah, just ahead on that one. Yeah. And then, as I said, the victim of their success, it's because Sony puts out great games because everybody wants a Sony console because yada, 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 people want to play the upgraded version of Ghost of Tsushima, things along those lines. It's why people are upset when they're asked to, you know, either pay up or do this or do that. Um, And now people are upset about it, but it's because Sony continues to make great products. And now people have to find a reason. Also on top of all that, I would say too, with the success of the other you know console makers of Nintendo and Xbox notably now with um you know success of Forza and Halo Infinite and obviously Game Pass yeah Game Pass is the greatest thing ever made um somehow that's perceived as a weakness in Sony whereas Sony if you look at it they're just absolutely killing it and if it wasn't because of the supply constraints they would just be murdering it right now and um and so because the other consoles are doing 
also also doing well it's a perceived like oh sony's losing it whereas like no sony's still killing it it's now also nintendo's putting out great games has a great console and xbox is putting out great games as well now and so it's if anything everybody's eating but people are trying to make it seem like well sony's not doing as well (laughs) so yeah it's uh that's why sony is literally right there as far as not deserving it and activision obviously i would say they've some of it undeserving but a lot of the criticism they brought on themselves and so yeah that's that's why activision is always in this category they don't necessarily need to win it in this case they i felt like they deserved it and so they they couldn't win it the only notable thing i would say is this may be the first year we didn't have ea on this list so maybe everybody stole that shine yeah so maybe maybe there's a, a sign of ea you know learning from its lessons making the right moves because they stayed off of people's shit list this year. <laughs> yeah, you know, they, they tried. Battlefield 2042 did not have the best launch, but you know what? The the person in charge there stepped down. Ben Sambella stepped in. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so they're probably brighter days ahead for the Battlefield franchise. Activision totally did that shit and brought all this stuff on themselves. However, I would I would say that the response from the gaming community, as is typical of gaming community fashion is entirely overboard and in many ways unnecessary like there people have left people are being replaced investigations are being conducted uh, there are protests there are people that are affected are telling you know people online just hey respond in whatever way you feel is necessary uh, we hear control issues with just like people to keep in mind that the people affected still work there so whatever you're going to do to try to hurt or punish the company, just remember that the people that have been affected are also a part of that company. So you are hurting and punishing them in the process as well. Uh, yeah, man, Sony, like you said, they had their hands in everything. Yet, despite how bad people try to make them seem, they're still doing better than ever. Jim Ryan ain't going nowhere. <laughs> so people need to get over that shit. And we're about to enter what is going to be probably an excellent year for Sony in 2022. They're selling PS5s in record numbers. They're outselling the PS4 despite supply issues. And the wheels just keep turning, man. Things just keep going forward. Let's allow a lot of these things to just be water under the bridge. Respond to it in an appropriate manner, in a commensurate manner to the level of the problem. But, you know, let's not turn this into the typical situation where five, six years down the line, whenever these companies or these situations come up, we're still repeating the same old talking points from years past. Let's also grow, change, and move forward along with the times. Yes. All right. Well, let's get into our final category of the show. Category, category of the show. show. Category <laughs> of the show. Category of the show. Show, show, show. Yeah, this is the big one. Obviously, this is the game of the year. Um, in, in the past, we've agreed on game of the years. I think this year we didn't play any of the same games, so there's no way. <laughs> and yeah, so and as that, we've evolved and... Um, we now do our own just, you know, personal games. I know some some outlets would just sit there and they'll debate all, all week trying to decide what is the best game when like in reality, like each person has their own favorite game. So it's kind of ridiculous to just agree on one best game. And so I'd like to see that more often instead of just one, just everyone who's in the committee 
put forth their personal choice. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, yeah, there's uh, less jockeying and all that bullshit. It's just, what's your favorite game? And let us know because if you liked it, odds are if I try it, I may like it. And so that's that's how I look at it. It's almost like, what's my ultimate recommendation for the year? If you had one game to play in 2021, what would be that game? And so I'll now, lead in. Now, do, you, do you happen to know all of the games released in 2021 that you played? Uh, yeah, I would, I would know. I know the, at least I, the ones that I argued in my head, I know any other games I, I completely forgot or yeah. just wasn't paying attention to. <laughs> Cause I, I think that would also be informative as well. As you know, not only did we not play the same games this year, but you know, we, we didn't play the same games this year. We both played a handful of 2021 games and there was no overlap. So in order to, you know, give the people at home a little bit more insight into our thought processes and our experiences throughout 2021. I think it'd be most beneficial to also let them know the 2021 games that we have played as well as the one we thought rose above the rest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause I could argue. So I have three games that I played that I loved and I could argue that super Mario 3d world is my game of the year. And this is why it won't be my game of the year because what? it was, it was the best game I played this year. It's, Girlfriend game of the year, I'll put it in its own category. The reason why I'm not going to put it in my game of the year is because it technically came out this year, February, uh, I think like February 12th. Um, so it came out early this year and I absolutely loved it. It was my my most anticipated game because I didn't own, and this is the key right here, I didn't own a Wii U. And by all accounts, it was a phenomenal game on the Wii U and now we were just getting a port. And so for me personally, I don't consider this a 2021 game unless I were to only grade it on the merits of Bowser's Fury, which is the DLC that was added to this port that didn't come out on the Wii U version. And by all accounts, Bowser's Fury is absolutely amazing, but my real love is Super Mario 3D World. But because it's a port, I'm not one of those people that's like, it could win that year and also it could win this year because now it's on a different console. Like, it, <laughs> it, it, like if it won, it won that year. And so, yeah, Super Mario 3D World, the best game I played this year. But my game of the year, the game, a new game that came out in 2021, the game that stole my heart, stole the minds of many people. I mean, some people might have said it was a snub at the Game Awards for not winning game of the year, but it did win another category. And so I will say my game of the year, A-Dub, is... Metroid Dread, 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 Yeah, much like the the great Judge Dread movie, both absolutely awesome pieces of content to consume. Um, Metroid Dread, what can I say about it? Uh, it had everything. It appealed to me in every way that I love when it comes to the Nintendo console, which is a little bit of nostalgia with some of that newness and just that great. Nintendo gameplay that you can almost always come to expect when it comes to you know their first party titles. It's uh, I mean, it's been noted many a times that Nintendo exclusives always tend to do well because their community just supports the shit out of them because Nintendo just knows what their fan base wants. And when it came to Metroid Dread, this was a somewhat of a surprise because you know all the talk has been about Metroid Prime Four. What's up with that next Metroid Prime game? Oh, what's up with that Metroid Prime trilogy? And then out of nowhere, they're like, well, we don't have that, but what we do have 
is the final installment in the original fran- uh, Metroid franchise with Metroid Dread. And so, you know, immediately people start, start blowing their minds. Like, what does this mean? Oh my God, this is amazing. We start seeing some of the gameplay. It's looking like Metroid. But then we start seeing some of the newness and we're like, oh, they're doing some new shit too, but also mm. giving us everything that we love about Metroid. And so, yeah, for me, I, I've been off of Metroid. I actually didn't play any of the Metroid Prime. So really my only experience of Metroid is that 2D side-scrolling experience. So that is that is my Metroid experience. And so couldn't wait for it to come out. I if, if I remember correctly, I even cleared the schedule so that when Metroid Dread comes out, I got nothing else going on. It comes out. I play it. I put in that work. And yeah, it's boss battles. So many boss battles, many boss battles, big boss battles, all different, all great. Everything that you love about the Vanias um, with, you know, just getting stripped in the very beginning, having to work your way back up to that professional level where you have all your abilities. And then coming down to that final boss fight um, that was just had a little bit of everything that you love because what what metroid did was which is absolutely awesome was they worked in so you have like everything you love about that that great 2d side scrolling platforming combat but then they worked in these segments where it got cinematic but it was like a quick time event but yet because there were no button prompts it didn't feel like a quick time event and yet they were absolutely important to ending some of the battles and if anything what was great was they would use it in a way where if you kicked off this sequence and you do it right the first time you could end a boss battle a lot quicker than you know having to wear them down take out all their energy and all that good stuff so there's an element of surprise to what you would come to suspect from the franchise and yeah that that final boss battle absolutely awesome game was awesome enough where i went back read the entire like story up to that point so i can really understand what was going on going into this game so captured my imagination in that way and you know from a simplistic storytelling uh storytelling um standpoint when it comes to like nintendo games and silent protagonists things along those lines still captured everything that i love about this game and love about these games um because i I played some great vanias whether it's ori guacamole you name it and this is right up there um with all them uh i will say a shout out to eastward still playing eastward it was definitely in competition um just didn't quite have that level of uh you know just just didn't have it to take it to that to put it over metroid but you know right there Great storytelling, also a retro style of game, doing everything that's fun, very witty, um, always engaging, incredible, like fun combat, not overly difficult. If anything, I would say maybe that might have been what held it back slightly was the game isn't very challenging. So I am coming to puzzles. I have a second where I have to figure it out. I eventually figure it out and then I move forward. I get to a fight, struggle maybe a little bit eventually figure it out and I walk through it. So, you know, I'm, I'm very much experiencing the game and loving the experience, but there's not a a lot of challenge there. And whereas Metroid definitely had all of that. And I would say one thing that I did really well is that uh, as far as Vanias go, you know, one of the things that you can always expect is backtracking. And with this one, because there are so many different areas to the game, it can seem a little daunting, but what they did really well is that, by natural progression of the game, you're always kind of backtracking to the point where once the game was over, I only went to maybe two or three places to get certain items. 
And they definitely helped with that final boss fight. But I definitely didn't feel like I needed to go to the very beginning of the game and do everything all over again with these new abilities to unlock everything. I had already actually had picked up a lot of those things by, you know, retracing my steps of pushing forward through the story. And because you're able to teleport to different areas, it also made retracing your steps not that difficult at all. So just very aware of what it takes to make a great Metroidvania and to then perfect the genre is what I felt that I got from Metroid Dread. But A-Dub, what was your game of the year, 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 year? Well, I played a handful of games in 2021. I played some Biomutant, enjoyed it. It was a nice little debut project from that, that THQ Nordic, that 101 games. Pretty cute, pretty endearing. Still need to go back and finish that off. Uh, I also purchased but have not played Death's Door. So that recently came out on PS5. It was out on Xbox Series X, got reviewed very well. Looks awesome, outstanding art style. Caught my interest, had to support the developer in that case. I also played Returnal. That was the game that I bought a PS5 for. I had to have a PS5 in time to enjoy that game day one. That was one of my most anticipated games and it paid off. Uh, I also, enjoyed the likes of Forza Horizon 5. That was a game that I purchased an Xbox Series X for. I've been biding my time with Forza Horizon 4 all the way up until the November release of 5. As you guys know, reviewed extremely well through IGN and all other sources. Has crazy engagement numbers. Fastest selling um, Forza in the, in at least launch month sales. Uh, we'll, so, we'll see about sales. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, MPD came out for November, and it said it was a uh, it was debuted at four, and it was um, the fastest selling Forza. So, I mean, doing doing well, <laughs> doing well. Oh yeah, and I also what did I just get? Oh yeah, and I also got Chorus, which is a game that I had completely forgotten about until about the time it came out, uh, a spaceship-oriented experience similar to Everspace and perhaps Rebel Galaxy Outlaw. It rests somewhere very comfortably between the experience offered by both of those games. It's something that I'm very close to I'm very close to completing. I even went the extra mile of streaming every moment of that game that I've played on twitch.tv slash control issues pod, where you can go to check out gameplay videos. And yeah, it's, I've had a pretty good year with 2021 games, but if I had to narrow it down to a single experience that stood above all others, that honor undoubtedly goes to Diablo 2. Resurrected. Diablo 2 Resurrected. I also got that. <laughs> I forgot entirely about that. And while that was, while it was very nice to finally play old game in a, in a stable format with stable performance, I still haven't seen that on the new TV, so I got to check that shit out. I'll probably fire that up a little later. So yeah, also that new old game, remastered, looks, looks great, plays great. But no, that is not my game of the year. <laughs> <laughs> My game of the year, without question, without fail, Returnal. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yes. <laughs> yes. Returnal. Like I said, it was it was one of my most anticipated games. It was the reason why I decided to pull the trigger on a PS5 so early, whereas I could have waited in many other cases, uh, specifically until Horizon 
Verizon, Verizon Forbidden West, <laughs> Horizon <laughs> Forbidden West. I could have waited until that came out to get a PS5, but Returnal came along and it was, you know, exclusive, developed by Housemark, uh, very well received, eventually led to the acquisition of Housemark by Sony. So they are now a first party PlayStation studio, which is awesome. Uh, the biggest game that Housemark has ever made, highest production value that they've ever embraced. It is science fiction from toe to tip, which immediately brought me in. Female protagonist, Dr. Celine Vasos. That's also a uh, a very big plus. I like to play games with female leads. It is a rock solid, fully competent, tough as nail shooter. Uh, you got some melee elements. It's a roguelike. So there's a lot of randomization. There's a lot of getting items. There's upgrading your weapon proficiencies to get more to get more powerful weapons. There's unlocking of weapon traits to make each weapon that you get a little more unique and a little more usable within the various biomes of Atropos. Uh, at first, it didn't have a suspend feature, but that was eventually added along with a photo mode that I have not dabbled in. And overall, it is a breath of fresh air. And I believe it is the high production value, like bigger budget iteration of a roguelike that the franchise or the genre has deserved all this time in order to help grant it greater legitimacy and greater visibility within the greater the gaming community at large you know that visibility did not come without its detriments along the way i mean the game has been scrutinized from hell to high water from not respecting people's time to people who you know have no problem dumping dozens of hours into call of duties and the fortnites and the far cries and assassin's creeds and the 2ks suddenly having families and obligations and things that they need to do that prevent them from even carving out a single hour of gaming time to dedicate to returnal uh it was maligned for its absence of that save feature at you know at earlier on in its life while people who didn't play the game were completely oblivious to the reality that the game does in fact save it just does it in its own way where it maintains all of your permanent progress your trait unlocks your item unlocks your permanent currency that can be used to unlock even more items. And you only ever have to fight the bosses in the game once because as soon as you complete that boss battle and you get whatever is necessary to get you into the next biome, you can just take a shortcut that allows you to go right there. Uh, game has lots of replay value other than just having rock solid gameplay that you'll want to experience for hours upon hours on end. But there's also a true ending that you get once you obtain additional items and do, you know, complete surveys on the various biomes to look for their their various glyphs and to find all kinds of hidden items, the sun fragments, which I'm currently in search of. So it's it's got a lot of surprises. It's just, a, man, it's a hell of a performer. It's just a beautifully put together game. It takes advantage of the PS5's, you know, DualSense controller with the haptics and the adaptive triggers. So it was, it was a nice little taste of what Next Gen will ultimately end up being. It was just an incredible magnum opus for Housemark. And hopefully this is just the beginning 
of their upward trajectory, especially now that they're under the umbrella of PlayStation Studios. It was a significant boon for sci-fi games in general. Last gen, we were hit with a lot of post-apocalyptic games, a lot of fantasy games, and not a lot of sci-fi last gen. So this gen, we're off to a strong start, you know, looking at Starfield for my next sci-fi fix. And yeah, man, Returnal is A-Dub's game of the year, 2021. Oh man, well, that yeah, that pretty much con- concludes the episode. I mean, you said awesome year. Next year is looking absolutely amazing. Um, just that, that. Yeah, just that <laughs> that lineup. And you know, as you look back at this year and all like the, just as we pointed out, all that that bullshit, mm-hmm. <laughs> that bullshit that people are, are trying. And what's good is a lot of this stuff is. Um, very much of the time, which is early launch of the console or like, yeah, early within the launch of a console within that life cycle. So there's always going to be the early complaints of where the lack of games or all the great games where the games that are changing, like uh, the industry and the way games are developed and what games like are meant to be now, like this is now the bar. We're, we're not at that point yet. And so people are now complaining about that um, value value is always going to be an issue like that's 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 not going to go away but at least we will hit a point where when games are when more and more games are 70 dollars and we're getting away from cross-gen it's just going to be an accepted reality and so then you could then argue well what does value mean but at least there won't be this confusion as to like well you said this game was supposed to be 60 dollars we're going to be past all that bullshit and so i i think i feel like a lot of the lessons have been now addressed or a lot of the issues and the concerns have been addressed and the lessons that we basically learn is to stop taking things so seriously (laughs) like it's just it's just video games it's you literally have a a million options it's not like there is a monopoly and there's only one game that comes out and everybody has to play that one game you have your options and you don't have to play the games that are quote-unquote bad or have their issues or have your concerns um so yeah it's uh i know from our standpoint we're super excited. We had a dope ass year and like, I, I, I can't wait for next year. I mean, the best is yet to come, man. I mean, just the games we know alone are heavy hitters. And then there are the games that we kind of forgot about. I mean, Microsoft's entire first party stable is set to release an ongoing stream of new games. I mean, Obsidian has their, their Skyrim like game that's coming out. That's, you know, looks every bit as good as the reveal trailer suggested it might. Uh, We still got to see what Playground's going to do with Fable 4. We saw the gameplay trailer for Hellblade, Sinua Saga, that looks like a film that George R.R. Martin would be proud of. Uh, I mean, Elden Ring, we know that's going to be a big deal. But at the same token, we got other we got other little surprises like the Saints Row reboot is continuing to look better and better we have no idea what's really going to be coming from summer to the end of the year other than saints row and elden ring i mean forgot about that forgot about a uh, forespoken which might be an interesting new ip from square enix using their luminous engine and giving us a, a female lead character of color in a purely magic driven experience that doesn't even have melee weapons so you know mage the game it's going to be the closest thing that we get to an infamous 
in a long time, which is one of the reasons why I'm going to be all over it on day one in May. I mean, seafood, that's setting up to possibly be a, a sleeper hit of the year. Easy. I mean, there's just so much going on. Gaming gets better and better. We're going to see the rollout of Unreal Engine 5. Uh, hopefully, we start seeing the completion and release of all these Japanese games, such as, you know, what it, uh, Wukong, <laughs> the Monkey King game. So that's looking awesome. Uh, damn. I forget what all those other Chinese <laughs> games are called, but I mean, yeah. there's so many games where you leaping on the tops of trees and fighting demons, <laughs> open world. There's the one with the, the tall, skinny woman with the big sword, and she's rum, roaming around in a Souls-like Chinese experience. Uh, we saw, I mean, Dokevi is coming out, and that, who knows what the hell that's going to be like, but it looks like it's going to be an absolute blast to play. I mean, the list... It goes on and, and on. We, I we think talk like, about Stalker 2. We talk I think, and I think <laughs> like the tease of, not the tease, but you know, the ongoing demonstration of the Unreal Engine 5. <laughs> like mm-hmm. we're going to, we're going to see that shit like in its full capacity soon. And that's going to be just a whole, like, I feel like all, like half of those games that you mentioned, like um, the games that are, you know, being developed in China, I believe, like all those seem to be like unreal, like uh, tech demos, and they all look phenomenal. And once we see that actually on our consoles, on these, on these ultra HD 4K TVs that we got in, it's going to be just, just next level, just next level. Yeah, all that talk about it's PS5 doesn't feel next gen. Yeah, all that's gonna melt. Yeah. <laughs> Just like the snow under under the monkey king's feet when he's fighting against demons with those incredible combos, those wind gales cutting carving paths through the ground. Um, and it's it, it it's it's outrageous, man. We're we're just beginning, you know, there's always a race to the bottom to be the most negative and to have the most retweeted hate comment about how things right now aren't what they're gonna be in five or six years. And, and we're just talking about things in 2022. We're just talking about the things we know, the things we've been shown. There's still the unknowns. We don't even know what Rockstar's next game is gonna be. We're hearing a lot of GTA 6 talk. You know, Naughty Dog, we know that they're working on the, the multiplayer for The Last of Us 2, but they could also be working on a new IP as well. I mean, Sucker Punch, you know, more than likely we're getting Ghost of Tsushima 2, which on its own would be a significant launch. But who knows? They might have a new IP. No, we learned about a new Star Wars game being made by Quantic Dream. So that's going to be a visual storytelling force unlike any other. Uh, I mean, Jesus, Guardians of the Galaxy came out this year. We didn't even talk about it. We didn't even play it. That's a game that I was highly interested in. It was well-received despite trying to be shit on by everybody as soon as it was revealed. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we, we continue to see games that that rise above their initial criticism. We continue to see games that come out in surprise despite initial apathy. We're seeing brand new stuff. We still have things on the horizon from developers that we've come to, to know and depend on to give us that heat. That's, there's just so much to look forward to. I can't keep track of it all. We got a new Mass Effect coming. It's looking <laughs> like it's, it's finally re-embracing the greatness of that Bioware goodness. I mean, what else? Got Tiny, Tiny Tina coming. Got the Dead Space remake coming. Like, goddamn. <laughs> <laughs> what else do you want? 
What more can I say? Ooh, we got part two of the Final Fantasy VII remake coming. You got Quantic Dream Star Wars coming. Yes. They <laughs> gotta mention it twice so y'all motherfuckers know. <laughs> Everything coming. Got the Ubisoft Star Wars game coming, developed by Ubisoft Massive, makers of the division. So yeah. who knows? Hopefully we see. I'm hoping for a division like Star Wars experience that would immediately just knock Battlefront off of the map. <laughs> Yeah. In uh, my opinion. Uh, so many but, games they do. Yeah, we'll see. There's a lot to look forward to. There's a lot to be happy about. If you don't want to pay full price for something, then there's a lot of stuff that's already on sale that you could go back and snag. You know, it's whatever you want, however you want it, it's available. Gaming has never been better than it already is, and it will never be better than what it will be soon enough. So if you're not happy now, strap yourself in because that smile is going to tear your cheeks back this is control issues i am the amc and this is a dub we are control issues and these have been the 2021 thanks for playing suckers